Greetings, everybody, and welcome to the Rundown Fast Pitch Podcast, brought to you by SNC Sports Services, High Point Child Care in Lakeville, and Rudy's Red Eye Grill Lakeville. Today on the Rundown, we'll catch up with Arizona Wildcat Hall of Fame shortstop and director of the Minnesota Force, Julie Standering, plus Alicia DeManso, the head coach of the University of Northwestern in St. Paul, as she touches on strategies to help youngsters with mental health struggles. He's the Midwest Speed 16U National Coach Mike Orth. I am as well. I'm Tori Holt. This is The Rundown. And we're up on The Rundown. It is episode number three. I'm Tori Holt. He is Mike Orth. And we are patiently awaiting the start of the high school season and it all gets started on March 28th on Monday, West Lutheran and Lester Prairie at 4.30. That is the first game that counts of the 2022 high school softball season. St. Paul Washington and Crystal Ray Jesuit, who happen to be in the conference that I'm coaching in at, um, at uh, St. Croix Prep Academy, uh, they get going at 5.30 over at Park Center High School. But we are patiently uh, waiting the start of the high school season. And speaking of uh, some great softball, uh, we have two great guests, two coaches on the podcast this week, Mike, um, Julie Standering and Alicia Dumanso. Yeah, they, uh, they're going to have some great things to share with us today on the episode. I know we're going to be talking with Julie about her experience a little bit as a, as a college athlete and then also her, um, her running of the, the Minnesota Forest program, which is one of the best ones in the state and even in the Midwest. And Alicia is going to have a lot of great things to share with us about mental health and talking about her strategies and philosophies as a, as a head coach in the collegiate level. She's been there 14 years and is really, you know, focused on creating a family and a trusting environment for athletes. And I think to today that is so important to gain trust and to have the kids feel comfortable in talking to you with what they have going on in their life. Because, you know, let's be honest, there's just a lot of things lately that are keeping people down. And uh, I think Alicia's got some great perspective on how we as coaches and parents and mentors and leaders of young women can help. Um, get them through some of the hard things that they have to deal with. Well, speaking of some of the hard things, their their Florida trip was kind of hard. They have seven freshmen in their starting lineup at any time. Does Alicia down at Northwestern, and right now they're off to a six and seven start this weekend. They split a series with Augsburg out of the Mayak. They ended up coming back to win in uh, in game number two to get the series split. So. That was good to see for them as uh, just a couple of years ago, they were in the NCAA tournament after they won the UMAC Conference Championship. And and right now in that conference, as we go around the horn in college softball, Wisconsin Superior after a quick start in the UMAC, they're at 11-5. and And then Bethany Luther and a couple of the Minnesota Waves coaches, Dan Nessler and uh, Matt Hafner doing a good job down there turning that program around in the UMAC. Yeah, there are a couple of talented guys, and you know they're doing a good job with the Minnesota Waves program, and, and obviously at Bethany Lutheran, they're 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 starting to put a name on it down there for them. That's a great start that they have so far this year. In the Mayak, St. Ben's, what a job Rachel Click has done. They're off to a twelve and two start. They're now nationally ranked. They're number twenty two in the country, NCAA Division three. 
They're doing a good job there. Hamlin, nine and four. Bethel, nine and two in non-conference play. Those are some of the the the, the teams that are out to good start in non-conference. Um, as uh, the conference schedule gets started right around the corner. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that Mayak conference plays out. There's some pretty pretty good teams in there, some well-coached programs. So we'll we'll see how that battle ensues in conference play for the Mayak. It should be a fun story to follow. John Cheetah now there, and hopefully we'll have him on as a guest here sometime soon in the near future. St. Mary's is 7-4. and four. Colleen Powers, who coaches in the program with one of our guests on the show today, Julie Standering, her Team at St. Kate's is seven and seven. Justice Perry, uh, one of our colleagues at the Midwest Speed, she is over there helping out at St. Kate's now as well as she's on as an assistant coach. So they got that program running. It'll be interesting to see how the Mayak plays out in Division Two softball in the NSIC. Well, Concordia, Bob Bartle, doing a fabulous job with that program. Seventeen two and one. In non-conference play, 875 win percentage. I believe they had an 11-game winning streak already once this year. They're on a four-game winning streak right now. Our good friend Rick Pickett is over there, the Minnesota Magic director, coaching with Bob, who coaches in that program. Uh, Whitney Johnson is their pitching coach, who who was up, uh, I think it was NDSU, uh, one of the most fantastic pitching coaches around. They're all over there working at Concordia, and they're turning that program around as well. Yeah, it's fun to see some of those people that we know have success uh, at the collegiate level. And and man, seventeen two and one overall—that's uh, that's pretty impressive so far. So keep it rolling. Nat Wagner's got Minot State out to a nineteen and five start to the season, and Greta Malstead sixteen and five. Good job by her, as just a couple of years ago. They won a national championship at the Division II level, and that was uh, actually one of her assistants on on that staff back then as well. Mankato, 18-6 and six, as uh, you go down the list. That's some of the Division II stuff that's going on. And then, of course, Big Ten softball. Where do the Gophers sit right now? 13-11-1. The big surprise, I think, that a lot of people are seeing right now is Northwestern and Evanston, 19-4. and four. They're nationally ranked. Kate and Carol Drohan doing a fantastic job there with the Wildcats. Yeah, it was, uh, I think late last week, uh, updated standings came out, and I believe they bumped into the top 10 nationally. So good to see Northwestern um, making some strides there. And yeah, it's it's all good. Yeah, high school softball is uh, around the corner. We're getting ready for that. We can't wait until the rankings come out, and we're all set to get it started in the high school season as well. And speaking of Big Ten softball, one of the former head coaches with the Minnesota Golden Gophers was Julie Standring in the late 90s. Julie is up with us next as we continue to roll along on the rundown. Julie's up next. We're with Julie Standring on the rundown. Head coach, director, Minnesota Force, but I think most impressively, All-American at Arizona, the Wildcats, won a national championship back in 1991, in the Hall of Fame, was named one of the top shortstops in the program's history, played for the legendary Mike Candrea. Julie, thanks for joining us. Yeah, thank you. You growing up in California, 
going to Arizona and getting there to play for Arizona, what it was like going through the the, the process, and then being able to find your uh, way at Arizona with the Wildcats and, and 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 going on to have such a great career. Well, playing in Southern California um, back when I played, um, there was high competitive and. Um, We'd have those grueling tournaments, as we would know now. It's the Colorado. You know, there used to be 27 teams. Now it just exploded. The participation of softball across the the the, the states. Um, you know, you, if you were on a top team, you got recruited. And you know, through that process, I got to meet many great coaches and programs, and narrowing it down. Um, it was tough, but I, I knew what I wanted. I wanted to play shortstop. I knew I wanted to be with a good coach up and coming. I knew I was connected with so many people in California. I would help with the um, getting other kids to follow. And it was just trying to right, find the right fit. You know, and here's something funny is I actually verbally committed to Northwestern. And I had to make a phone call to that coach and say that I made a different decision. And I was fortunate enough that my mom and dad let me take off of school one day from high school and go watch the Cal State Fullerton Pony Tournament back in the day. And Gary Hanning, my summer coach at that time with the Southern Cal Batbusters, um, who is now the founder, co-founder and was a part of the PGF um, um, company. Um, and he said, you got to meet this guy. And I'm like, I'm committed. I can't, Gary, you know. No, you just got to meet him, Julie. This guy, just take a chance. I met him. He said, come on a visit, give me a chance. So without living in regret, I actually went on a visit within 20 minutes. I'm not kidding you guys. I, I knew that's the place that I wanted to go. He picked me up in a little red 280ZX. Mm-hmm. And from the airport, a 20, 20 minute ride to the hotel. We just talked softball and I was sold just like that. Um, and then that's where it just kind of started some history. What was different about Mike Andrea than everybody else? Strategy. He taught the game. I dig it. It was, it was like, yeah, he was personable. He was on it. He was knowledgeable. I, some of the coaches didn't spend the time with me that I wanted to talk softball. I was there to go to school to play softball. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> oh, yeah. But um, I wanted to, I knew I'd get the academics. I'd go to class. I'd graduate. I'd get a degree. I knew I wanted to do what I'm doing right now. Um, but I wanted a coach that was committed, a coach that it was his first year. I was a part of his first recruiting class. And I'm like, if this guy is, you know, lives up to what he's telling me, you know, it was a little bit of blind faith. How did it all end up paying off for you during your career with Mike? Um, it was incredible. The man um, is legendary in the sense of how to treat people he stayed in the game as long as he did because of the players. He cared about every, every player. He was patient with every player. I was like, sometimes, what are you doing coach? You know, there's times that we get players on base and he'd put a pinch runner in and I'm like, okay, there's another out. And sure as heck she'd get out, but he just kept training her. And, you know, we still found ways to win. Um, I mean, he told us, He's very superstitious and he had belief that, you know, the more you play against a team in, in a program, you're going to beat them. And we were in a tough, tough conference and it took us four years to beat UCLA, but he just kept consistent. He never yelled. 
he never yelled. He had a good sniff and a, a walk that we knew was get your, you, you know, get your stuff together. Um, you know, when we'd go on runs, he would go on runs with us. You know, he would, he knew that there's ball players that cut across the field, but he didn't try and prove a point. And, um, he just watched the players and tried to build a program around a nucleus of players. And he would spend time recruiting to find the kids that, to fill our gaps. Still talk to him. <laughs> yeah. I, I text him all the time. I text him more now and talk to him more now that he's retired. Um, Cause yeah. I never want to be a burden on anybody. And you know, he's, he his time is, you know, and so now he always, you know, I'm at the baseball game and I'm, a, you know, I'm watching them, you know, and, and watching softball. So he's, he's doing well. And I don't know he's, he's just a good solid, you know, solid guy. Uh, it's, I learned a lot with him just about how to take on business. I mean, I got stories like no end. I can tell you that would. Do you have a funny story about him or a great, a, a great story, a, um, a moment that uh, maybe helped change your career during a, a season, uh, maybe something that when you were going through a difficult time during the season that he said, or an example like that, that uh, maybe changed it for you. Um, we were actually at New Mexico State my freshman year. We were playing against Oklahoma State, and they were killing us. We weren't good. I mean, it took us four years to get some some good recognition. And, and back then, it was a, a run rule, 10 runs. And the coach for Oklahoma State, um, mind you, that that was Michelle Smith's team. Um, the kid threw the ball lasers, and she can hit dingers. I, a kid just can rake. Um, they were beating us, but she decided to put a squeeze butt down to get the run rule and get the game over. And I, it didn't sit well with me. I was out at shortstop and um, it was, it, I remember standing out there and um, they were home team, um, obviously. And I stood out there and I didn't get off the field. You guys, I sat out there and I wasn't leaving. I was staring her down and I was ready to go. What are you doing, coach? Do something. And he walked out to the pitchers now, called me in and he says, you know, I'm like, do something. And I wanted to have a pulse. I'm like, that's totally like, as if they couldn't hit another run in. I mean, come on. And, and he just said to me, and it, it was a defining moment for me. He's like, Julie, this is my first year as a man and a male coach in a woman's game. And remember, we'll see the same people on the way up as we do on the way down. And we will have our opportunity. And I was like, I wanted to like say more, but I had nothing. He just shut me up right there. Um, I was like, okay. And I just, I was on his train. I, I, I drank his Kool-Aid, you know? And I thought right there, that guy has some mad respect. I didn't look at it that way. You know? There's two things though. It says a little bit about your competitive fire and, and how you were able to have the success you did as a player, because a lot of players wouldn't even really think of that or understand the the gravity of that situation. I I I would. That would bother me. That would absolutely bother me. It would so bother you, Tori. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would drive me nuts. I just mm -hmm. and and so I get that part of it from your standpoint. But then for him to to understand where he was going and where he believed his program was going, that he had that kind of confidence. You saw that confidence. You got it. 
Mm-hmm. I know. You know, and that's thing, how that he was, becomes a legend. Yeah, and that was in fall ball, and then we played him in uh, spring at a preseason tournament. And during the fall, I was the shortstop. During the spring, I got the arm around my shoulder and says, "Julie, we need you to play third. And I'm like, "I want to be shortstop." I'm like, "Come on, man!" The kid that they brought me in became eligible. So then she was. Um, I was more versatile, is what I was told. Um, so I moved over to third and I said, fine, I'll play third. I'll cut everything, every ball off. The shortstop won't get one. I'm just feisty. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, go. okay, we got this. Let's go. So it was in a pre, my catcher who, um, you know, coached at also um, at Arizona there. And, you know, she was the catcher. I was playing third base and we were there. We, they were in scoring position and I, they called timeout. I ran in, said the coach and I called him in just down the first baseline, just about seven feet out of home plate and foul territory. And I said, pick off, pick off first pitch. And they're looking at me, both of them, one a junior and one coach. And I'm like, pick them off first pitch. Just throw it. Trust me. We picked off and I just put the tag on and I smiled. I didn't even do anything to the coach, but I was like, but who, who trusts this energetic freshman, you know, that to throw the ball and just trust it in the game. That if, if we throw it away or if I'm, you know what I mean? Anything could have happened. But that guy there, again, I don't know. I look back at it now going, I would die to have a ball player that would create like that. But for him to trust a player, it's kind of, uh, it shows a lot as a coach that doesn't want to control. He's allowing the players to play. And that's what I try and do to get my players to think and be creative. Even if you throw it away, you're trying. Because youth ball, it's not college where your job relies on. You know, this is youth ball. You know, I'm development over ego and let's be a, let's be aggressive and think out of the box. We've, we were, we've talked about this a little bit, uh, off different times. Um, you and I, uh, Mike as well. Um, but do you think there's a, there's a fine line between teaching these girls fundamentals, how to do something and then not, not doing it, overdoing it. So they become robotic. Well, there's a difference between fundamentals and style. And there's a time to be style when you're up by four runs. And there's time to be fundamental when the game's tied in the seventh inning. Teaching the kids to, to know when and why to put flair. I literally threw a ball away in the college world series. The year we won it, um, it was against Fresno State. Julie Smith was my competitor, also a friend of mine. And I held the ball on and wanted to throw her out by three feet because I that was just my little feistiness. Um, she hit me a nice little one, two hopper. I got the grip, I relaxed a little bit and I slung it there through over through it. Hit, I think I hit someone's pop in the stands and, uh, <laughs> uh, popcorn flew everywhere. Everything was all, and you know, they advanced and we lost by one run and I felt horrible, but, um, it ended up working very well for us because they changed the college world series format now, because if you lost, you played less games. So our pitchers got one game rest. It was very, they changed it. They go back in history books and see that, but um, that was me being less fundamental and more style. Um, you know, throwing with your feet off the ground, um, throwing on the run, that's more style. So trying to teach these kids knowing when to and how to and um, know when to try and pick the runner off at third base on a tight ball game or first base. You know, recognizing in youth ball is different than college. And, you know, I play against a lot of great coaches. I'm excited to coach at 16s because the athletes know their bodies more. They're in control of their emotions and they're, they have a little more experience and the fall in the winter tournaments I went to, 
I'm digging it. It's so stimulating that I, I'm finally, I'm coaching like a mini college team. And we're able now, I'm able to help them get to the next level thinking to be creative. You know, Tori and Mike, what we were talking about, um, be able to do more um, ESPN type of plays, you know, showstoppers, you know, the ah moments, um, if they understand the situations, just with a look. I'm sure your players will do that. They'll look at you, can I do it? And you're like, no, not now. Or you look, go, absolutely, get her. You know, at 14, you're just getting them, trust yourself, throw the ball, you know, and. Yeah, I think that is an exciting part of the 16U game is seeing the kids put that little extra effort into diving for a ball. You know, maybe that at 14s, they would have pulled up and just played it on a one hop in the outfield. And they're they're learning their body control. They're learning their confidence in their first step. And they're they're able to commit to some of those web gem type plays. Um, diving for balls up the middle, diving for balls in the five, six hole and coming up, trying to make that throw to first, you know, or, or, or letting one go from their knees um, when they're in the five, six hole and, and, and trying to get that out. Uh, it's exciting to see that. And Julie, your story about when you, when you blew up the soda pop can in the, uh, college world series, um, it reminds me of, you know, you get kids that have really strong arms, right. And sometimes they want to show off their cannon every time they get the ball, when did you kind of figure out the need to to give it a hundred percent on your throw? Or, you know, sometimes you get the nice two hopper and you can just, you can just get one across the diamond, you know, accurately and easily. Like when, when did you figure out that feel of the game? I'm sorry. It's another story, but I'm laughing. <laughs> Freshman year, high school, Cal state Fullerton, Pam Newton um, was an all American comes over to coach high school, poor coach, poor Pam. Um, our team was a basketball school and we were not softball. Heck I pitched. It was slingshot. I only had to pitch one, one game. And that's how we weren't very good, but this coach was incredible. She was intense. And, and I was playing shortstop diving at balls. And I'm thinking I'm doing fun things and great things. And, and um, yeah, I threw the ball away quite a few times. I get that, but I was given a hundred percent effort and I had a great attitude. I didn't cry that I threw it away. I was just keep plugging away. This coach calls timeout and I'm thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's pull everyone together. Let's, let's get, get it all back in line. Yeah. Good idea, coach. And so she goes, nah, called everyone else away. She walked and backed me up towards the shortstop area. And she said this, she goes, I need you next time just to hold the ball. You stop it. Just hold it. Because every time you throw it, we're giving up doubles. If you hold it, we're only giving up singles. And she walked away from me. And again, I'm like, just again, you know me, I'm, I talk quite a bit, yeah. but she had me just aha moment of going, you're right. So I learned touch at that ninth grade in high school. I learned touch. Um, so I began to play catch and not fetch with people. So that was fun. That's a great line though. <laughs> that was about 15 you though. 15 you, I suppose, you know? Uh, yeah. That's, yep. That's yes. pretty good. So you went on a national championship in 1991. It was the first of what are they at eight or nine national titles now at Arizona. Yeah. Um, tell me about that a little bit and that, that um, run there and then being able to finish it off. Is that, and then I guess I would ask, is that the pinnacle moment in your playing career? Um, we all, you, you know what, you know what, Tori, I, I don't, it was an awesome moment. 
when you're playing the game because you love the game, I, I to this day, um, I, people want to get tattoos with Arizona on it. Uh, people want to do certain things because you win and you want to have the moments together. And, you know, our whole team, our nucleus of our team, we grinded it all four years to get to where we're at. We, we attacked every game without thought of what the results would be. And that's how we were trained. Um, we did not. That's how I coach now. It's like, I don't look at anything. So when we were at the, the senior year, when we won it, um, coach Kendra is very superstitious. So everywhere we went was the same. We drove to the, the field, the same, we ate the same things. We went to the same, this, and, you know, um, literally on that trip, uh, he got, a, we got it to, to go order and it had number one. And he's like, it's time. He just showed it to me. We're going to do it. We're going to do it. I said, yes, we're going to do it. Every night he'd send ice cream to our rooms. Um, and, and we, we, he fed us well, he ate well. I mean, he just took care of us. Um, and, um, we knew we were going to win when we had to beat UCLA twice. We knew when they made a pitching change that we were going to, to do it. If that coach, if, if she knew what we knew and leave the other pitcher and they would have won, but as soon as we saw that pitching change, we were all over it. And, uh, we, that was our, that's, that was our break. And I think the umpire at, at the home plate maybe missed a call and gave us one because I think people liked us, um, and we're looking for this hardworking team to win. Yeah. Um, they, and, and some, and I'm not saying, I mean, I think the umpires are incredible now, but back then it was a little bit, um, you know, always one-sided. So I, I mean, that's my honesty. I, but, um, it was, it felt easy, Tori, Mike, it felt easy. It just was, yeah. you do it so much and you stay consistent. You're not shocked when you do things well, you know, you don't get too emotional when you fail forward. You, you know what, they're, they're going to hit their balls went at us, you know, ours found the hole. It happens all the time. It just happened to be our time. You know, it's like, if our, your team wasn't play my team multiple times, there's going to be moments. And the more you play the same good teams over and over, you don't get too emotional and bragging. There's no bragging rights. Those are our friends on the other side. Those are great coaches on the other side. The platform was incredible. I mean, to play in front of all those people and video, I mean, it was beyond national TV. That was, and is cool. That's the interviews and the hype and the little kids running up for autographs. I mean, I gave my national trophy to our Batgirl. When I was at Minnesota, she ended up writing me as and letting me know that moment. That was more rewarding than the whole World Series. It, uh, it's you're just treated like it was. It, it's a great experience. It, it, it. My four years taught me so much. Not just that moment. Um, not many people can say they go out a winner, so I'm very humbled by that. Um, but there's a lot of great players on their team and great coaches and a lot of other. Um, those are my, my friends for how many years and they're crying and it just, it, you know, we weren't celebrating like, aha, UCLA. Those are, you know, that's the way we need to approach, you know, I'd like my dream here in Minnesota is every coach and every player, no matter what color you wear or name on the Jersey, respect the game, respect your opponents. You're going to win. You're going to lose, but show, show a class for the game. And that's what Candrea taught me. He says, no matter what, you know, um, and that's, you know, we talk about legacies and, you know, legendary coaches. Coach, you know, I asked my team this year, sorry, guys, but I asked my team this year to define legacy, you know, and 
they did a good job, but I, 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 I'm like, you guys ask me, you know, what my definition is, what you leave in people, not what you leave for people. And Candrea and you guys as coaches, so many good coaches here are leaving impressions in people. I just hope everyone stops and reflects of what are you leaving in them? Are you leaving the joy of the game? Are you leaving the joy of, of being a part of a team and not just on the field stuff, but the stuff you get to share along the way, the road trips, the small victories, not just the big victory, you know? Um, and maybe that, I don't know. I've had my experience coaching college softball. Some coaches might want to get into that. I think we are blessed and I'm blessed every day to wake up and be able to coach my high school team and my youth groups. Um, because I think hopefully I'm leaving something in them far more than what a, a small percentage get to do. And that's to win a national title, a gold medal, being a part of many, many amazing teams that to be quite honest, it doesn't take a great coach to, to coach the best talent. It, it takes a great coach, how to manage that talent and takes a great coach to build a program, not just inherit one. That, well, I think that's what you, Sean's done that. Sean and Jeremy have done that. And, and, and Rick has done that. And, and you, you've done that. And you went to Minnesota, touch on that a little bit too, uh, after Arizona, but, but building the Minnesota force, um, how did that all start? How did it come about? And what did it take as, you know, it is your, your livelihood now, what you're doing here in youth sports. Yeah. You know, um, it was a player at, it was Emma Highland actually, um, I just wanted to do camps and clinics um, and help train kids. And then Emma Highland played for the Renegades, which I had mad props for the original Renegades back in the day with that. Uh, I mean, I just, I like their kids. I, I, when I was at Minnesota, I watch them and I like the discipline and Emma and a few other girls, you know, um, they, they folded. And so Emma came to me and said, I need you to do this. I'm like, Emma, uh, I need you to do this. And so Emma Highland, who is still with us right now, is the one who um, poked us. And at that time, I, I, I um, you know, tried to uh, get Lisa Bernstein to come and join me. And she, you know, it took a lot of uh, convincing. But after a couple months, she's like, she loves teaching kids. And so she's let's do it, you know. And, um, and we got Megan Staten involved. And, um, and that's where we started Minnesota Force. You know, so what have you found as the biggest challenges to the club scene and coaching in the summer? I think there's so many good coaches. I'm very impressed with all the associations and uh, to be honest, association and club ball coaches. I see a lot of great coaches out there. I would love to see um, where we keep putting the walls down to, again, keep letting coach. Every time I'm on the field and I coach against an association coach, another club ball coach, uh, I I, I, I let them know I like them, you know, um, they do a great job. Um, and then it's, it's, um, really, it's not really challenging other than the biggest, I'd say challenge or hurdle that we need to do as a state is get more out of state teams to come here. Um, and I know that's been, um, a talk with some of the, uh, you know, uh, some core coaches that I've known for a while to try and expand and get so that we're not traveling so much. To me, the youth sports, the cost is getting so high. I'm glad that the recruiting people, colleges are recruiting 16U 
So I try to tell my younger kids, it's like, you know, put some of that money in your back pocket to go to camps and clinics. And, but it's, we got to really think about, I don't know. I, and I want youth ball players that want to play college softball, play club ball. You know, if you want to great, be great high school um, players, you know, you can learn a lot doing private lessons, but you know, it's, you know, high competitive, competitive club ball teams need committed players. Um, and, and I'm coaching a team right now, um, Minnesota Force, the, the 16U that those ball players are hundred percent committed. But if I have a ball player that isn't committed, doesn't show up, it's, it's, it slows them down. And that's what I want. I wish that there was more communication on what it takes to play college softball, any level, what coaches need that from them as freshmen and how we have to prepare them. You know, there's so much behind the scenes. It's not just hitting a softball. And, you know, we are talking about ball players that can flat out play and hit the ball, but they don't understand how to be a teammate. They don't understand what it is to use dialogue, um, to have, say what your teammates need to hear and not want to hear. Um, there's so much more behind the scenes that that's what I'd like youth ball um, coaches, you know, to be not, you know what, go back to Kendra, you know, Kendra is like in baseball is such an open book. You have knowledge, share knowledge. And sometimes I feel like everyone gets so protective and territorial. And when really we join together, we could accomplish great things for these girls in sport to, to reach their goals, or at least put them in the best position, you know, because at the end of the day, there's a percentage that'll make it and some that won't, but they're going to learn such great things from all of us. So challenge in youth ball, I'd say is just keep exposing them to knowledge that they don't know not just as athletes, but parents, parents, I'd say, um, I'm fortunate. I love all my parents. I love all my kids. I swear to you, there wouldn't be in our program if they weren't. Um, uh, but education is where they, everyone needs education. What did you learn from coaching at the division one level with the university of Minnesota in your time as a coach, as opposed to playing at that level? Um, in recruiting, I was recruiting. I, I did the recruiting. You got to recruit good pitching. You don't have pitching. You don't, you, you don't keep your job. Um, I also learned at Minnesota when you want to give a kid an opportunity from Minnesota, their expectations were different than, than uh, I'd say out of state kids. It's a fair assessment because they have that problem in hockey as well. And, and, and you know what? I tell you, I love, the reason I came to University of Minnesota and why I left being penciled in on the first Olympic team for 96, I left because some of the stuff was political. Some of the players that should have made a team didn't make the team on a few things that I thought was wrong. Um, but I picked Minnesota, I swear, and is because hardworking, good kids. Every time we played Minnesota, they never gave up. OK, uh, and they never gave up. And all the years at Minnesota, when I'd play, I mean, at um, Arizona, we'd play the Gophers. And I'm like, God, they just don't give give up. I mean, man, we're up by this runs. And I'm like, God, we can't just keep sweating. And, and and you know, I'm I'm like, I'm getting hungry, but we can't get rid of them. You know, I'm like, here they come again. So it was awesome. So I had mad respect. And so when I got the job there, I um, I. Uh, I was following with Lisa Bernstein, actually one who's hired me. She got the head job. And then uh, she called and asked 
if I want to be a part of it. But we are following Teresa Wilson and John Rittman, which were phenomenal coaches and big fans. They were at Oregon back in the day. So it was all connect connections. And um, they had good ball players so that they were coming off a Big Ten title. And so there was, you know, here we come and, you know, we're trying to keep it going. But a lot of their players graduated. And so we had to rebuild. So I'm trying to bring in a new philosophy, um, a little bit of what we were, Arizona philosophy versus Oregon philosophy, Minnesota philosophy. So the challenge didn't take but a couple of years to get through, um, just like any new coach would. But there wasn't really, it was awesome. It's softball, you know? Yeah. So that philosophy you you had with the Gophers and, and bringing your um, your strategy to the game, how was that different? What were you trying to instill in the program there early on? Fast pace, left-hand slap game, drag bunny. I mean, you look at the history of the left-hand slappers when I was there. I mean, I was big on on you were fast. I There's a kid on my 16U. Um, I, I tell you, fast is, fast is probably one of the fastest I'll put three, just not to name her the best, but I'm teaching her right now to drag and slap. And I think she will do it successful, but it's changing that mindset of power and speed. You need the combination of them both. Um, and when you can become a triple threat on a team and in our state, how many great slappers do you see? There's handfuls, but there's not where, yeah, you know what I'm saying? But it's, it's yeah. not where I grew up. But there's, there's not a bunch. There's not a bunch. I, and I started thinking about that last week when we were on the show, we were talking about her Tegan specifically and I started to think about all the slappers and I'm like, there's not a lot of them in the state of Minnesota right now. You see a lot more of it when you go out, you know, when you're playing in, in other states down south or whatever, you see more slap and, and good ones. But it's still, I mean, you don't have a roster that has three of them. You know, I don't think we've ever seen three real great slappers on one lineup. Here, no, but that when I was at Minnesota, they had power hitters. Um, and they were built strong. I mean, they're, they're a Midwest strong, baby. They're, they're awesome. And, but we need the combination when we were facing pitchers that they couldn't hit, we needed people to put the ball in play to make things happen. And that's, that's a strategy that I don't know if some of our top, um, hitters, I would, you know, I don't know what you guys think about shortening up, putting the ball in play, you know, in college, we did do that, you know, all the time, but I don't think we we don't, we don't, I think we teach a way to hit, right? But we don't, we don't teach a way to hit in different counts. Because I know when I hit in an 0-2 count, I'm taking a totally different swing than when I'm in a 3-1 count. Totally different swing. And I think we don't do a, a good enough job as coaches, at least Mike and I don't. And Sean and I have talked about this. And I would assume that this goes throughout club ball in Minnesota. We don't do a good enough job of teaching girls how to hit in different counts. I think one thing we we do we've started to talk about is the team swing approach. You know, when is it, you know, when is it appropriate to just put the ball in play to the right side and take the team swing and and you get out and it's fine, but you move the runner, you know, and and keeping tabs of those team swings and putting them in your win column for the girls, um, I think can go a long way when they start to understand. I actually did a good thing. You know, that was a a well executed offensive strategy that I did because I was selfless. I hit a fly ball when I needed to hit a fly ball. I hit a ground ball to the right side when I needed to hit a ground ball to the right side. I shortened up when I had two strikes or I shortened up when we're facing somebody who's throwing gas and all we're trying to do is make contact. You know, 
um, understanding some of that. I think they're starting to get there. Oh, that's what I've been spending so much time with the group, just program wise of how do you win, not just games, but win championships. And if we're truly coaching teams, you got, you got to know who you're coaching also. Um, and, and knowing, you know, what you're trying to get out of them. But, and again, I'm fortunate, you know, I, it was so awesome. I was talking to my coaches, I coached 18 this, this fall. And I'm like, my gosh, I should be paying to coach this team because they know how to do, you know, they don't get emotional. They just go and play 18. You is so fun to coach. It's amazing. And 16 is, and then 14, you do a little more and then 12, you, you know, it's, it's, it, it has their fundamentals. You got to teach. I think the only time um, we've coached against each other is in 12, you, Julie. I know. I know. Well, bronze I'm bracket excited. dome ball. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, this, this summer, hopefully we'll see you this summer you know, for sure. Yeah. You know, we're going to have some fun. good games it'll, too. It'll be an honor. Absolutely. You know? Um, yeah. So it's trying to get them to understand how to work in offense, offensive strategy, you know, um, uh, and assess the pitcher, assess the situation. Are they better than you? Are they equal or, you know, are you better than, you know, her, she better than you have a strategy, have a thought process, plan A, plan B. That's just, they need to think like a coach and how to win instead of keep hit, pulling the ball. And it hits, it goes over the, the field house or the outhouse way out down left your field line in foul territory, but it's strike number one, you know, you know, they're going to throw the change up next. You know, it's, you know, youth ball is fun for me because it's like doing it as long as I have, I've kind of seen a lot except the hidden ball trick for the Minnesota force. Where do you see you guys going here in the next couple of years as we wrap this up? I have this philosophy. It's not broken. Break it. That was a book that actually Candrea um, told me to get. And I read it and I, it sits with again. You clipped out there. If it's not broken, break it. It's un, it's unconventional thinking. Um, and it's, you know, I, I always look to do changing um, and things are cyclical. And I, I think that um, force is, I feel the force program, what I feel is every one of our kids believe in what we're doing. Our parents um, new kids that enter a program are learning a system and our first year parents that are with us have done a great job, um, joining forces as opposed to kind of living off what they're used to and they're staying open to what we're saying and what we're guiding them through. So I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm excited for the future. I think, um, I'm excited for the state of softball, not just force. I think there's so many great coaches out there and they're doing a great job with their training programs. It's changed when, when I first started with Minnesota fast pitch Academy, I mean, just think of, um, you know, um, everything out there, um, how it's evolved and things popping up, teams popping up. Um, and again, I just think coaches on a day to day just need to keep gut checking that they're doing it for the right reasons and, um, know that we're coaching other people's children and they need to be treated as if there are our kids and the words we choose are impactful and, I don't know. I, I want to wish everyone the best of luck. And it's an honor to be on your show, guys. I think you're doing great. I talked with Sean. You know, Sean Hall wants to be a comedian, right? He's pretty good, too, guys. Yeah, he, he, loves uh, he gets me he laughing. Loves, he's pretty I funny. Know, I don't know if it's good. I like I it. know he is. Yeah. Me, too. He makes me laugh. I don't know if it's because I know him. Um, and so I just see this funny side to him. But 
this is exactly what I think that um, uh, a platform we need. I wanted it more where we can see each other's faces so that people can see the people. Um, but the podcast is great. Um, you guys wouldn't want to see me this morning. Um, people listening. Um, I just want to give a shout out to all the athletes that want to play college softball or be the best high school players. Um, stay positive, put all the emotion stuff in your back pocket. You're never a disappointment to your coaches. Um, they wouldn't have you on the team if they didn't think that they had, you had assets for them. Um, you know, make sure you take care of the athletes on your team that are nine through 12 players that aren't in a starting role. They are equally important. Don't dismiss them because the games will rely on, on them to whether you win it or lose it in moments of the game, you know, be respectful to your parents, carry your own bag, pack your own bag, step up, do great in school, academics in the state of Minnesota, you have good grades. You have a chance to get academic money, possibly more than athletic money from college. So um, just be kind, be good. And I'm glad that we're getting out of this pandemic time. Um, And I appreciate you guys for having me be a part of this. Something special. That's Arizona Wildcat, Hall of Famer, 1991 national champion, one of the most accomplished coaches in the state of Minnesota, doing great things for the Minnesota Forest Program. She's Julie Standering. We'll be back. We got Alicia DeMansu from the University of Northwestern, St. Paul, coming up next. on the rundown Tori Holt Mike Orth great conversation with Julie Standering of the Minnesota Force we are now joined by another great one in her 14th year with the University of Northwestern in St. Paul Alicia Demansu Demansu is on with Dumanso. us <laughs> <laughs> so cool. that's all right that's all right French is that French yeah. yeah that's French Demanso. that's like New Orleans style that's right uh, 14th year at Northwestern as the head coach of the program. You also played there. Yes, I played there. I also was a pitching coach there for a few years prior to taking the head head coaching role. How's it gone for you? Have you, have you enjoyed your time in it? Yes, I love it. I think um, Northwestern is a really special place. And so being able to do things and create our culture around our, our institution is really unique. And I know that I wouldn't be able to do things how I do things uh, anywhere else. And so I'm thankful to be at Northwestern. What kind of led you to that school? For me, you know, it was so interesting because I I actually went to school to play college basketball, crazy enough. Um, And after a really intense softball career at Stillwater, I had a state championship, um, was part of that team my sophomore year in high school, just pretty intense. Um, Needed a break from that and wasn't sure if I wanted to do that in college. Uh, but then um, my mom passed, passed away, actually, when I was a sophomore in high school. And I kind of changed my whole perspective of instead of looking for schools far away, um, I just decided that, man, I need to be close to home. And Northwestern, at that time, I had just found my faith and um, it became pretty important to me. And so that's a really important thing at Northwestern. And uh, so I was given an opportunity to play basketball um, with no intention of playing softball crazy enough but then I tore my ACL playing my first year in basketball and and really found my identity in sport and had a really unhealthy relationship with that so um, after recovering and and getting back I missed the community I missed the team aspect and so um, I was kind of hounded to to get back on the field and give that a shot and so glad I did because 
I never looked back. Here I am. Well, you talk about, you touched on the the situation you went through with your mother and, and that and, and her passing away. And, and sometimes that drives people away from their faith, but it, it led you into a deeper faith. And you ended up at Northwestern, probably right where, where you needed to be at the time. And how have you seen that grow and have been able to take those experiences and those hurts and, and turn them into a positive as a coach? I think it's really important to be able to understand where people are coming from. So everybody has their struggles. Everybody has bumps along the way. It might look different. So maybe it's not losing a parent, but losing a grandparent, dealing with um, mental health issues or um, really any difficult situation. I can say, hey, I've walked walk some dark times too. And, and I can walk through that with you. You touched on that, that, that mental health piece. And that's really what we wanted to get into here, yeah. Mike, um, with COVID shutdowns in, in 2020 and continuing along. And, and, and then you, you get the kids have, have gone through that where they all of a sudden they get some back and then it gets taken away. And, and really a lot of kids in high school don't have to deal with situations that are really a lot out of their control, right? Like things that they can't control. And finally, for the first time in 2020, when they shut us down, that was like the first time a lot of people experienced, uh, at least in our, in our world, where we live in the suburbs and whatnot, or around here in Minnesota, that all of a sudden, you don't have a lot of control in the life you're living. And that played a toll on a lot of people, adults, but adults as well, but also these kids at such a young age in the high school level, playing in athletics, all of a sudden they have that stuff taken away. What were some of the things that that you had to do, you going through it yourself, not not the mental health part, but but the the COVID shutdowns and all of that stuff. What did you do to help be a leader through that time? You know, it's always about perspective, right? We get to choose how we handle situations. So that was a big thing for me is, you know, this is out of our control. So So what are you going to do with it? Are you going to sit every day and whine about it and complain about it? Or are you going to make the best of it? And so for me, I poured into recruiting because I could. So I was doing FaceTime meetings, walking around campus and, and doing whatever I could to stay connected, whether it was with my team currently or, um, or recruiting. And then also, I just used that time to spend with my family. I mean, when was the last spring that I was at home, you know, with my, with my immediate family? And so... I think it's all about perspective. Um, controlling the controllables is is a mental thing. You have to be able to make a choice. And these kids, you know, in COVID, they didn't have control. And so a lot of times it shifted into other things, whether it was controlling what their food intake looked like and, and then having some more unhealthy relationship with food or anxieties because there were so many unknowns or... Um, being isolated. I mean, that's hard when you're stuck huge. in a house and mm -hmm. yes, quarantine or whatever else, when you're stuck indoors, um, that's, that's not how we're intended to do life. We're intended to do, to do life with community. And uh, so when you're isolated, that just is not healthy. Um, so I, I see that I see our girls, you know, we have a big freshman class and I think something that I see is they didn't have two years of their last two years was COVID. And so learning how to do school again in person, learning how to study, learning how to manage their time, learning how to now they have control and now they need to regroup. And how do we have better, you know, 
relationship with food and anxieties and depression and all those things that we're just seeing so much more of right now, um, which is, it makes sense as to why it's just now, what do we do with it? What's your, your philosophy at Northwestern as far as handling some of that stuff? Is it, um, building, building relationships with the girls to where that they feel like they can come and talk to you about those things. How does that work as, as far as you as being a coach, having 20 some odd girls in your program, all of them with different struggles, some of them with the same struggle, but how, how does, how do you navigate some of that stuff uh, specifically with, with some of those girls? Yeah. It can be overwhelming because I'm not a professional. I'm a coach. <laughs> so. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is, you know, being available, building relationships, having that intuition of like, hey, something's something's off here. Let's have some conversations. But also, I'm a firm believer in counseling. And at our school, we have free counseling services. So, man, what other time in your life can you have four years of free counseling services? And and even if it's it's the smallest thing, like a breakup or um sleep habits, whatever you need. It's just so nice to have a third party sometimes to be able to have those conversations with. So um, not only do I have my office door open all the time and then, and push a little bit too, as far as, you know, Hey, something's off. Let's talk about this stuff. Um, Our athletic training staff is awesome to be able to help with some of those things. Um, I actually am lucky enough to have my assistant softball coach, Kelsey Stoltman, is a licensed counselor. So that's awesome. That is amazing. So there are many times after a student leaves my office that I call her and say, hey, here's how I handled this situation. Please tell me I didn't mess it up. <laughs> so mm-hmm. luckily, luckily enough, um, I have quite a lot of experience with with being able to to talk kids through just life. And that's that's what I love about my job. And so that's what we do. So how do you get there initially with your kids? I mean, you have a new freshman class coming in, obviously for, for players to want to open up and talk to you about things. There's, there's a certain amount of credit and a certain amount of trust you have to build with your program and with the individual athletes. What's your philosophy on, on how you approach your teams and and how you build that culture? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And that's a good point. I think trust is huge and it takes time. You know, you have to have shared experiences. You have to um, be willing and, um, worthy of trust. I think that that's really important as well. So we do a lot in our program to, to build those relationships off the field. So for us, we have daily time every day that we're, um, we call it our, our spiritual formation piece of our program. And so 30 minutes every day, we're doing building kit into kids off the field. That is, has nothing to do with softball and everything to do with their faith. So that's a big part. I also think, you know, we do monthly service projects where we get off the field. We do something together. They get to see me in a different light as far as it's not just coach all the time. I am, I have other pieces and parts to me as well. So trying to give opportunities for them to see that. Um, And I like to keep it light. I mean, I have high expectations. My girls will tell you that, but at the same time, if we're not having fun, we're doing something wrong. And so we talk a lot about um, not finding our identity and our worth in our softball abilities. And, and then I have to prove it, you know, you can say it, uh, but then I have to prove it. So I think that's, that's really important. Does anything stand out? Is there a, is there a story of an individual or anything that, that stands out that you can remember right now off the top of your head that, um, that was a story where you saw 
such a struggle and and then we're able to see it play out on the field maybe or after after college in life uh for somebody that you you coached over this last 14 years I think there's a lot of those stories. I mean, it's so that's one one thing that I love about coaching college is the four years in college are so uh, so important. It's where kids figure out who they are apart from their parents. Um, what what do they? What are their values and what are their morals and what is important to them and what is their traje- trajectory for their future? And so, man, there's so many stories I, I can go on and on about whether. It's having zero confidence coming in and then becoming an all-conference, you know, player mm-hmm. by the time they're a senior or not starting and then having a, a starting role on the field. And, and a lot of that is just building people back up from maybe past experiences with coaches in their youth or high school experiences that weren't as uplifting and, and encouraging and um, more harsh. And so that, that takes time. Um, and, and once they get there, it's really cool to see their, their athletic abilities just explode. What was the most difficult part of that process in 2020, I guess up until real recently where St. Paul lifted their, all their, their COVID restrictions or most of their COVID restrictions. What was the most difficult time navigating that for, from a head coach's perspective? I think the most difficult part was the beginning because it was so new, right? We had never experienced Mm -hmm. anything like that. And there were so many unknowns. So we were lucky enough to have our spring trip and found out our last day of our spring trip that, you know, we have a, a pandemic on our hands. And so we got home and I told our girls like, Hey, go home. I said, don't talk to the baseball team. Don't talk to the lacrosse team, grab your bags, go home and and stay, stay tuned. And that was the hardest part, I think for me, because the next time I saw them, they were moving out of campus. And then it was like, okay, well, crazy. Now we don't have that connection. We don't have that community. That is such a huge part of our program. And that was the hardest thing is staying connected with these kids during that time where they're not here, you know, with us every day that we have that um, built-in connection time. It was, it was hard. What kind of things did you do to try to bridge that gap? There were some Zoom meetings. I think by the time we were done with the summer, it was just like, man, if I have another Zoom meeting, you know, it was, know, easier that at was first. exhausting, wasn't it? Yeah. It was easier at first, but it, it's hard because the girls didn't, you know, we were just weren't in it. We, it wasn't the same. It's not the same as being, being in front of each other, doing life, um, having proximity. And, um, and so it just, it took a toll and it took a while, you know, last year we couldn't do anything off campus. So we couldn't serve, we couldn't do team building activities, which is another big thing in our program. So we had to get really creative, couldn't have our spring trip. And that's a huge, uh, defining moment for our team of just bonding and, um, connecting on and off the field. And so the, that was tricky. And, and I think it showed in our team dynamic. How does it look this year? You know, being that COVID is, is really moving, I think hopefully further off into the distance, obviously you're able to go on your spring trip, you're back on campus. Has there been a deeper appreciation amongst the kids? Has there been a, a, a new exuberance amongst them that maybe you didn't see for a couple of years? What is, what is their reaction to, kind of the lessening restriction. It feels so good to feel normal, I guess, you know, whatever normal is, it feels so good to get back at it. And, you know, talking with other colleagues 
that coach other colleges, you know, we all feel the same. It's just such a gift to be able to play. And when you get something taken away and then get it back again, you have a whole new appreciation. And so I think it was good. Even though it was hard, I think it was good. And um, like anything else, now that we're in the groove, easier to take advantage of it again right <laughs> we're yeah. creatures of habit but man it's, it's important to re- be reminded on the daily that it's a gift to be here and, and to be able to play you guys are doing some good things on the field right now coming off a big win last night against augsburg i think you have another series starting to or double header starting tomorrow um which is saturday I guess we're on tape, so yeah. <laughs> but it was a big win against Augsburg. Uh, going back to your your trip in Orlando, you got stranded there after oh, yeah. your spring trip. Now you're talking about bonding. You guys had a little extra time to bond. Tell us a little bit about that experience. I know we were exchanging some texts, and it was probably frustrating for you as you didn't know when you were going to get back. You were stuck down there for an extra three days. Yes, that was quite the adventure. I think, um, you know, at the end of a week, you've been together for 10 days in the same houses. You're tired. You know, everybody's nerves and we're ready to get home, right? That's just, you know how it is, right? You go on a family trip or whatever and you're like, okay, I need some space from everybody, right? That's just how we all feel. sleep in my own bed. Um, That's right. And that was not our... um, our situation. And so we were stranded at the airport for 15 hours and um, it was a really unexpected and unfortunate circumstances that we were placed in. But, um, you know, after the first bit, the girls uh, rallied and they, they kind of um, understood that we were doing everything that we could to get them home. Um, Not a lot of options for us as a team in the moment um, that we were in the airport stranded and, Um, And that's where they had to trust us. And so we just kept telling them, hey, we're working hard. We're figuring it out. We'll get you home. We'll have a roof over your head and food for you. And it may not look exactly how you want it to look, but we're going to take care of you. And and there was some some cool things that happened as well. Um, So bonding experiences, you know, we were uh, blessed with an opportunity to go to SeaWorld as, as a team um, thanks to our director at the spring games who, who made that happen for us. And, and that was kind of the shift of, okay, all these things that weren't going well to then, you know, Hey, let's go to SeaWorld and Hey, we'd like to provide a meal for you and this and that and the other thing. So it was just this mass experience of emotions in like a 30 hour experience for, for me as a head coach. And it was probably the hardest thing I've ever had to do because there was nobody to talk to. Like I I've traveled the world. I've taken teams on mission trips and you go to Florida. Right. I mean, I, I do this all the time. And so I knew exactly what needed to happen, but there was nobody to talk to. And so that was the most frustrating thing. I, actually, our baseball coach, Coach Heave, you know him well, Tori, um, sent him to the airport to actually speak to somebody. So he's the one who got our book, our new flights booked. Um, otherwise, I'd still be waiting on our airline to get us home. So really thankful for the team effort in that regard. Well, probably, I'm, su- I'm surprised you weren't, you, you weren't just still waiting on him to stop talking. <laughs> he <laughs> he could have amazing. a conversation with anybody. He was amazing. And I'm so thankful after his delays and his travel, he still, you know, waited an extra two and a half hours at the airport to help us out. And that's just a testament to what it is, you know, working with people at Northwestern. They're phenomenal. 
sounds like it was a little bit of a testament on being able to control or like focus on control the controllables. Like you said earlier, you know, you can choose to focus on the negatives and what's going on, but if you stay positive, maybe some good things happen. You get a trip to sea world and, you know, free meal here, free meal there. Um, yeah. It's so funny because, positive. yeah, because that, that, so we were stranded on a Saturday that Sunday morning and we had a little bit of a team meeting. Cause I was like, here's the deal. <laughs> you know, we're working really hard. We're making things happen. I need you to have, you get to choose how you're going to respond in this situation. And it's exactly that. Like, Hey, control the controllables. We're doing the best we can. We're also stuck in this situation with you and would like to get home. So, you know, we're, we're, we need to rally together and they did, and they did a great job. And so I was really proud of how they rebounded. And, and then from there on out, it was like, all right, let's make some memories and make the most of it. Won't that be something that, that your team can lean on that the rest of the season? Definitely. And I have a lot of newcomers and I told the coaches, you know, as we're seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, I said, Hey, this is going to be a group that's going to be connected very closely because of this experience and, and the trust that we was able to be built, even with the coaches that, Hey, they're going to get it. They're going to get us taken care of. They're going to make sacrifices for us. They're going to make it happen. So when you have an individual player, that's going through a challenging time, you mentioned you know, uh, your ability to, to say to them, you know, I've, I've had some tough times too. Um, you probably share some of your own personal experiences with them, but you're able to walk step-by-step step with them through that process. What are some of the things that you see kids struggling with that, you know, may, maybe there's consistency in what some people are struggling with or how you go about helping kids process and work through difficult situations? What does that, what does that look like? Well, it's definitely an individual basis, but I think <clears throat> some of our girls, well, at Northwestern specifically, we have a lot of high achievers, type A personalities. They um, are very responsible, high academic, very high expectations for themselves. And so some of those conversations are simply saying, okay, and if that doesn't happen, what's the worst that can happen? And then what? You know, okay, what's the worst thing that could happen if you fail your test? Okay, it's a grade. You know, it doesn't define you. We can get better. We can get our grades, you know, um, all those different things. As soon as you create an outlet of saying, oh, let's play the video forward and, and try to play this out and see what's the worst thing that can happen, what's the best thing that can happen, and what's everything in between, and let's work from there. Because sometimes I think, we as people tend to think that the worst thing that could happen is the worst thing ever. And we could never recover. And that's well, just they make, the they make up stories in their heads. We all do make up a, a, an outcome in our heads that we've already seen. That's already finished. That probably is never going to even happen. Correct. And then and you think, put the worry in something that's not even a real reality. Yes. And, and understanding thought processes too. So we have this idea of like, spiraling thoughts, right? So you have a negative thought and then your negative thoughts continue and then they get worse and then they just spiral out of control. And being able to to recognize when you, you're starting to spiral is super important. That's a life skill to be able to say, whoa, I need to pause, look at this for a little bit, talk to some people, let some people in, bring this situation into the light. Sometimes when we deal with this all on our own, we just create these stories and it's negative, negative, negative. And then as soon as we start talking about it out loud, we realize how silly we sound and how it's actually 
not that bad. But if you bring it into the light, then you can have somebody walk alongside of you. But if you're isolated and you're doing it by yourself, it's really hard to recover from anything that you're struggling with. You have, I'm sure, a lot of coaching mentors, but one I wanted to touch on is your father, Bob Beadle. 15 years at Stillwater, won two state championships, was at uh, White Bear Lake as well. What are some of the things that you took from him, playing for him, watching watching him build a program and, and then having the success he did at the high school level? Yeah, it's, it's great. I love, you know, weekly I'll, I'll call dad, you know, on the way into the office, we talk ball and um, something that I really respect out of him is his attention to detail. And um, the expectations that he has to to doing everything to the detail of perfection. And now it's okay if you're not perfect. I also lived that as well. But he doesn't let he doesn't let his athletes fluff. And you guys all you guys know that you know yeah, he right. has high expectations. Um, but yet he is also the first one being a goofball on the bench. You know the girls love him, and he he's so fun to be around. And so having that balance of saying, Hey, the bar is here and I'm going to keep it there because you can get there and not making excuses and saying, Oh, you know, you have to be gentle with the girls and you have to do this. Like he, he holds the line. And I really appreciated about that about him because he gets athletes to their ceiling and, and that's a skill. I think that's what as, as, as coaches, that's what we're trying to do. You know, we see the potential in the kids and sometimes it's our job to get them there to get them to do something that they don't see that they can do for themselves. And you're, you know, Bob's certainly that, that guy. Um, he, he does hold people accountable to a standard. I mean, he's not afraid to stop up a practice and be like, look, we need to, frankly, we need to be better. Like Correct. we've got to throw the ball to first accurately. And if we can't, we're going to do it the rest of the day he, until we can. And then he mumbles yeah. something and then he walks, <laughs> turns his back and walks. Yeah. <laughs> but I think he um he 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 gets that respect um because he doesn't change the standard. The kids Correct. figure it out like we either need to get here or it ain't going to work cuz he's going to keep pushing us till we do. And he does it in a great respectful way and I think finds individual buttons to push push with kids to get them there. Uh so it's fun to watch him work and you got to experience it firsthand being one of his players and obviously his daughter. Yes, on both the basketball court and the softball field, I was blessed to have him coach in, in all those things. And, and I think, you know, I think about him as he, he does his practices for, for spring, right? Where it's, you only have what, two weeks or something before you play mm -hmm. a game. And he's like, yep, first whole day we bunting. I'm like, I'll love it. You know, and it's just the idea of details matter. The small things matter. And you can see that in his team. You, he coaches the 18U national team. We have Midwest Speed. We have two 18U national team, or three actually. Chris Illinopoulos coaches our gold team. Sean Hall coaches one of the national teams. Your dad, Bob Beadle, coaches the other. You had a chance, I think it was last summer or the summer before, that to go out and coach with him. What was that experience like, getting a chance to actually be his peer and coach with him in, in, uh, in a big-time tournament? I think it was in Colorado, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Missouri, actually this fall, I was Missouri, able to travel right. with them. Yes. And so that was really fun. I think it was, it was still early in the fall season. So the girls were still trying to get to know him a little bit. And I think it was really good for his team to see Bob as dad, you know, as in our relationship, I'm like, Oh, he, he's not just coach Beetle, Right. We talk about all the different aspects of who we are. Um, and so I think it was good. And 
Um, it was fun to coach with him and alongside him. Um, and, and I think it's fun for me to showcase that, Hey, I have some good skills too as a coach. I have something to offer. And so I think that it was a really fun duo that weekend specifically. And, and I look forward, I told Sean, I said, Hey, if you ever need help and I'm around, um, love, love helping dad out. So it was, it was a fun experience for both of us, I think. Yeah. You, you talk about that in the, his Bob's team abling, you know, being able to see that, you know, he is a parent, right. He's got you. What does that look like for your relationship with your team? Obviously, you know, you're married, you have children, you know, you're, you're a successful female coach, you know, like what sort of other aspects of your life besides being a coach, do you try to bring to your team to help them? Cause at the end of the day, they're not going to be professional softball players, right? You're trying to build women to go and, and be, have a career, have a family, like do all that stuff. So how does that relationship work with, with your team beyond just the softball X's and O's? Yeah, that's a really important part of, of how I do things. I think it's so important to have balance in your life. And so the girls come to my house and they, you know, they have dinner here. We do a team dinner. We, my husband, Travis is at games. My kids are at games. Um, They know that if I'm bugging out of practice right away, that I'm going to family. Um, they, they see the other aspects of me and I really try to show them that because it's really important as, um, as women that you need to know that we can do all things and we can do them well, um, and, and we can be successful at it. And so I think knowing, you know, boundaries is important. So asking the girls to respect my evening that, you know, if it's a, you know, they want the text message answer immediately and. And I have to teach that to them and say, Hey, when I, when I'm with you, I'm actually more with you in the spring than I am with my family. So the time that I get with my family, it's important that you respect that. And they do, and they understand that. And, um, I also talk to them a lot about finding a life partner that can be your biggest fan. And, um, it, I don't know, be your encouragement to, to do your dream and to, to reach your goals too, as, as a woman. And, um, I definitely wouldn't be able to do what I do without that. So thankful for the support I have at home. And, and, you know, Travis was right after work yesterday, he was at the field watching the first game. And um, now that my kids are older and in high school, it's a little bit easier for us to have that balance. And now that they're so busy with their own schedules, but it's a lot. And, and the girls know that um, I'm involved in other things. You know, I serve at church. I am on healing Haiti. Um, organization duties that I have with that. And they know all that, that stuff and they know what um, things I'm a part of. And that's, that's important for them to see the balance and um, that when I'm here, I'm a hundred percent here when I'm home, I have to be a hundred percent home. So help me with that. Seems like that's a relationship or something that you show them that maybe also makes it easier to have them be open with you, right? They see you as, as a person, not just their demanding head coach that they have to be afraid of. Um, yeah. is that, has that, I mean, has that, have you seen that change in terms of coaching philosophy over your career? Um, is it, is it different? Is it better for athletes to see that welcoming personality? What are your thoughts on how you handle it? I think to each coach, it depends, you know, some people like to have their life in one box and their coaching in another box. And I respect that too. For me, um, authenticity is really important to me. And so in order to be authentic, I, you have to see all of me, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so I think that helps build relationships and helps my girls see that, hey, I'm human too, and I'm not perfect. Um, but 
I am who I am. So I think that's important um, for our team. And I think our girls respect that. That's such a huge thing for me and Mike and I in coaching our girls is authenticity. We want to know when they're mad. We want to know when they're, they're hurting, when they, they got, uh, they had a test that day or they took their ACT and they're, they're bothered. Uh, I want to know these things because I want to be authentic too, right? I'm a Christian. Uh, I swear a ton. Like, sorry, like, you know what I mean? Like, I may not drink, but that's my biggest thing, right? Like, and so I, you know, we all have, we all have things going on or things that we're, we struggle with or whatever. We're not perfect just because we're in an authority position or we're not perfect because we are identify as a Christian or whatever. And, and, mm-hmm. and so I think that it is important, especially as coaches that we are trying to help these girls be authentic. It's, it's, it goes back to the communication piece, right? Like where, where we can't help them if they're not communicating with us, if they're not being authentic about what's going on in their life and they're trying to cover it up or not talk about it, then how are we ever going to get to the bottom and get a solution? Yeah. And I think that takes time. That's building that, those relationships. But I also, you know, there are days where if I know somebody's struggling and I can, I feel it or see it on their, in their body language, I might come up alongside of them and say, Hey, you know, how you doing quietly, just maybe when we're doing some, some work. And then if they're having a hard day, I just will say, Hey, I'm just going to let you swing. I'm just going to let you take hacks today. I'm not going to coach you a lot. It looks like you just need an outlet today. So I'm going to give you a little break. Um, So if I'm not coaching you up a ton, it's because you need a break and you just need to have this as an outlet, which I think is important to be able to have the the space to do that on any given day if we're struggling. I want to mention uh, one of the players that I coached and, and you coach now you have a great freshman class with your, your Northwestern team. And you guys are off to a really good start. And a lot of those freshmen are contributing, but last night or this weekend, I should say, because this will be on Monday, uh, Kate beer hit her first ever collegiate home run. It was smashed. Uh, I felt great for her. This she's somebody that I coached with the Minnesota ice for a couple of years and developed a great relationship with. So I know her very well. And, and just like any, any, 18 year old, they go through ups and downs. And and I saw her struggle early on in the season. And now seeing her be able to get her feet underneath her and gain that confidence that I saw with her when I coached her. And then last night getting paid off with a couple of big at bats in your games. Um, that is great to see her flourish in your program under your coaching. Thanks. Yeah. I think, you know, we just have to encourage Kate that, that we're her, her biggest fan. And, and sometimes she needs to just believe that in herself. And so it's really fun to see that growing in her and um, keep continuing to coach her up and she's so coachable, just a, a great person to have on our team. And, and like you said, our freshman class is big and they're talented. And so I'm super excited about this group that's going to grow together. And um, with the the Florida experience and some other things that we've done this year, it's just going to get us closer and hopefully we can see that um, pay off on the field too. The other one is uh, your, your senior on your team or one of your seniors, Telma wrestler. We just picked her up. She's going to, She's going to come coach with us this summer. So we're very grateful to have her. Tell us a little bit about her. What's she going to bring to the table for us? She is a student of the game. Uh, she is a hard worker. She's hard on herself, but it, it, it's because she wants to do things well. And so I appreciate that about T. She also has attention to detail, which is going to help you guys on your coaching staff. Um, she she loves kids, and I think she's going to be a great coach someday. Yeah, it almost seems like a mature leader is she a leader on your team on your squad what's what's her role for you guys she is our starting shortstop so her role is really our vocal leader on the field you know with seven starting freshmen it's like 
tea. Hmm. Help us out. Help yeah. us out, sister. We yeah. need you to be talking on the field because we can't be out there. And so that's how we look to tea. And, um, and she's done that, done that fairly well this year so far. Yeah, we're excited to work with her on the bench this summer. It's gonna be it's gonna be great. Well, as we wrap this up, Alicia, we we um, appreciate you certainly what you do for the girls at Northwestern. We've seen your program grow, and the NCAA's winning the turn the uh, the UMAC tournament a couple of years ago, made it to the NCAA tournament, um, continuing to play at that level, having a huge freshman class coming in. Uh, as you go about your recruiting this summer, what what would you say about your program and, and why somebody should choose to go to Northwestern St. Paul and play for you in the Eagles? Yeah, Northwestern is a very unique institution. We are a faith-based institution and, and it's incorporated in everything that we do. Our faith is incorporated. And um, so if faith is important to you, Northwestern is a great fit. And so it's a place that you're going to grow. Uh, both athletically and, and spiritually, emotionally, and all the other things. So it's it's a fantastic institution. I'm an alum at Tory. You're an alum. It's a great place. Um, we uh, are very unique in how we do things, but um, I wouldn't trade another coaching position in the world for what I get to do every day. Well, nobody works harder than you at the recruiting. I mean, we see you all over the place, and you know, you talk about spending time with your family and having somebody that's in your corner to support you and what you do and what you love to do. And that's certainly got to be evident and, and be the case for your family life. Cause you're, you're, uh, you're on the road quite a bit and we see you at tournaments uh, when we're traveling as well. So um, your recruiting efforts, I think are paying off. You got a great freshman class. You've got a lot of strong um, girls in your program and uh, we wish you all the best. Thanks. I appreciate it. Alicia Dumonceau the head coach of the University of Northwestern in St. Paul. We appreciate you joining us. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll be back to wrap up this week's episode of The Rundown. Mike and I jibber-jabber next. Well, we've reached the end of another rundown as we've uh, entered the final segment. It's so hard to say goodbye Boys to men, Tori Holt, Mike Orth, wrapping things up here. A couple great guests today, Julie Standering, Alicia DeManso, talking about uh, not only uh, some great things and, and some of the great things in their career, but some, some difficult things as well. Uh, what were some of your takeaways uh, from uh, their interviews today? Well, with, with Alicia, I think it's important for us to recognize as coaches how we can walk with our players when they're having struggles. You know, you and I certainly have dealt with things throughout our life that maybe can give us some credibility to let our players know that when they are struggling, like we can identify with you on some of this stuff. We felt some of the same things. We've gone through some of the same things. And being there stride for stride with them, knowing that we're we're there to walk it with them, I, I think can be a very powerful tool to help kids get through some of the things that they're dealing with. I mean, with, with society, the way that it is, there's, there's so much instant gratification. And with that, there can be also so much instant negativity for the, for the kids. Um, and sometimes I think maybe it's easier for them just to like, try to let that go and forget about it, but really they're, they're holding on to things, right? So if they can trust us as coaches, if they can trust their program leaders 
as people that they can open up to. And, and if those people are willing to listen and willing to walk hand in hand through the process with the kid, you can, you can help them overcome. And so I think that message and what Alicia's doing at Northwestern, um, is the right way to do it. And I'm, I'm glad she was here to share that stuff with us. You know, I, I, I talking about that, I'd like to, to share a story as well about what they were talking about. They're using their past experiences to help the kids of what they're doing now. And I, I look back when you're talking about mental health stuff and trying to help these kids understand it. If you haven't been through anything, it's a little bit dif- more difficult to, to come down to their level. And, and like you said, walk with them. And one of the things that I always let them know is the struggles that I had back in college. I've been sober. It'll be 19 years in April. And that was because of that, that hurt my college athletics career. And, and, you know, I got something that not a lot of other people did when I was 42. I was able to <laughs> go back and make that a right, right? And I, I looked at it as a good Lord paid me off for trying to do the right things over these years. But the one example that I can give on from a standpoint that that tough times don't last, tough people do, tough-minded people do, is that when I was going through a hard time, I had just gotten sober, I was only a, a few months sober, and I was in LA, and a lot of people don't know this, but I was doing stand-up comedy, <laughs> and I wanted to get back into broadcasting, and I ended up having a good broadcasting career that that helped me get to the National Hockey League uh, from minor league hockey, but this was just at the start of it. And I was quitting. Be- I was going to school to be an actor, stand up comedian at, at a, the Groundlings, which is where people train to go on to Saturday Night Live. And I was frustrated, but I had gotten sober and I decided I was going to go back to Minnesota and I wanted to get back into broadcasting. And I was driving from California back to Minnesota. And I was, I think I was 26, 27 years old at the time. And I thought, you know what? I am such a low life. I have just quit doing what I thought I was going to do the rest of my life. I'm moving back to my parents' house, trying to figure out my life. Like I'm starting to get old. And I stopped at a gas station and I was in, I was in Amarillo, Texas. And I plugged my phone in. I had a 1987 Ford Escort and I, I had to plug my phone in at the gas station to charge it. And I was sitting there. And I broke down in tears thinking I was such a loser in life. And I remember that I grabbed, grabbed my phone and I, I, I got choked up. I got in my car and, I, and, and from Texas, I drove the next 10 hours home. And I got back and a couple months later, I ended up with a job in broadcasting at the Colorado Eagles, which obviously led me to the Avalanche, which led me to the Dallas Stars. And, and my broadcasting stuff had taken off at that point. And I was about five months into the hockey season. And now I got this job and I'm living like, I can't believe that I'm a professional broadcaster with a pro hockey team, making a living, doing something I love to do. My life at that point was awesome. And I was on the back of a bus and we were on a road trip and the coach was talking to me and he was saying, you know, a lot of times people don't realize how they don't realize the present and and how to be happy in the present moment. And I told him, yeah, you know, I was going through a tough time and, you know, I felt like it was going to last forever. And now here we are on a 15-game winning streak. Our team is in first place. I'm having the time of my life doing something that I love to do. And as I was telling him that, I, I realized, you know, I'm happy in the present right now with what is going on and that the things that I went through they weren't going to last forever. The hard things I went through weren't going to last forever and things would turn around. As I said that, you'll never believe this. 
I was on the back of a bus and I was looking at him and behind him was a window. And we happened to be in Amarillo, Texas, and we took the wrong turn on the bus. And when I looked, the gas station that I was sitting at just less than a year prior was in the background and we were in Amarillo and that's where I was sitting where I thought I was a low life and my life was never going to get any better. And it just happened that we were in Amarillo, Texas again on that same road, not even a year later. And that hit me as, hey, you know what? That I know we all go through struggles, but this too shall pass. And I think that's what I want to draw on as some of these things as a coach and, and give those to my kids that I'm coaching so they can realize that, you know what? I broke up with a boyfriend. Um, I didn't make the certain team. Um, I didn't get recruited by the school that I wanted to, that these things will pass and the good Lord will get you to where you need to be, not necessarily where you think is the best for you. Yeah, it's a pretty incredible story and and sharing it. You know, I've heard that story before from Mitori and you're, you're right. Um, difficult moments in life, they can be fleeting, right? If you don't let them keep you down, you know, they're there and that's where you need the help that's when you when you feel like you and, and Alicia talked about it when you're in that negative spiral sometimes you need the skills you need to be taught some skills to identify when you're in that spiral and then have the courage and willingness to to say something to get out of it and uh cuz it it doesn't have to be like th- those moments can pass you can be feeling like you're down in the dumps and you went home and you made some decisions and you got yourself the job that you got and you were paid off buy it. You know, the good Lord gave you what he had planned for you because you were, you opened up, you're willing to get there. Um, and I think what you have to hold on, you have to remember some of those feelings too, to keep you in a, in that positive light and be like, you know what, this isn't so bad. I remember when I was really down and, and, and I'm not going to let myself get there again. So there there's, that's part of the joy in coaching that, you know, for me, you know, it's just as much about seeing the kids grow and the X's and O's of the game. Um, it's an equal piece of the pie to see them grow as young women and try to help them with getting the tools that they need to, to be better communicators, to deal with adversity, to deal with the problems that are coming at them. You know, they might be struggling in chemistry. They might be struggling with their grades. They might be struggling with relationships, um, teaching them how to work through that and how to make good decisions for themselves is is a big big part of why I enjoy this game specifically and coaching this game. You know, and Julie talked about uh, a lot of different things. Of course, her playing career, and and she has to have one of the most unbelievable playing careers um, for someone right now in in club ball in in the state of yeah. Minnesota. Like the yeah, things that compare, she accomplished. Yeah, when you compare like her stat line, like yeah. you know she she certainly has a background. I think what jumped out at me with Julie is just. I mean, her competitive nature. Yeah. You know, she did not want to be the ones like like she said, you know, she's standing on the on the field when a a team suicide squeezed a a, yeah. a run rule run against yeah. them to end the game on a suicide squeeze and she was like, I'm not leaving the field that way. Yeah. Like if you want to get ten runs on us, hit a bomb yeah. and get your tenth run. Let's end it that way. Don't don't be like thinking you're doing me a favor because you're bunting suicide squeezing in a run like that's the fire that she played with and that's why she was so good you know um so yeah i think 
she probably instills that in a lot of those kids in that program is that tenacity. And, you know, maybe that's something the athletes of today are missing a little bit of is that just that competitive arrogance or that competitive fire. Um, And I think that's what, if you can find that in the athletes or figure out how to turn those switches on for them, that's what starts separating athletes from being, you know, a, a really good high school player or really good club level player to like they're going to make the D1 jump and be a competitive D1 player when they can start getting getting that competitive arrogance. Um you know I, I think Julie when she when she was talking about you know playing with Arizona and 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 under Mike Candrea and winning the national championship and 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 in that season you know you you could get the sense from her that that team knew when they stepped on the field that they were going to win. Like they from the opening pitch, it's we're going to win. We just need to, we just need our opportunity to present itself to us in this game, and we're going to capitalize on it. She mentioned it in the championship game when they UCLA changed their pitcher. Like boom, that's the moment, and they went and, and capitalized on it. And I think when we look at games that we coach, there are moments in games where it's either we need to stem the tide, we need to prevent them. They're, they've got all the momentum. We need to step up and stop it, or or we're going to be in trouble. Or we need our players to sense when we are standing there, you know, ready to to mm-hmm. win the game, how to push through that and to like, you know, put the nail on the coffin and, and execute the game. And and when, if we can get kids to start identifying that without us telling them, that's when the teams, you know, our team, you know, you, you listening, your teams, your your player – uh, that's when you'll start seeing the change when they start sensing when when it's time to slam the door and they slam it. Yeah, and her uh, tenacity and fire has allowed her to build a great business in the Minnesota Force and 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 be able to create all these opportunities in the state of Minnesota for girls from ages what ten on up. So yeah, a, a great job by her. And the last thing that I'll point out is is from her and Sean says this as well. And her and Sean do a lot of things, including the SNC Showcase together. Is that she makes the point we as club coaches in Minnesota have to do a better job of all working together because we're all really trying to do the same thing. If we run each other out, there's going to be nobody to play. We want good competition and to be able to raise a level for everybody in the state of Minnesota. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I there is a little bit of a feeling, and maybe I'm wrong. You guys can let me know if I'm wrong or right, but it's kind of like we're football coaches a little bit and we keep our playbooks like locked in a vault and it's super secret. And we shouldn't take that approach. I mean, we should be able to share what's working and what's successful and, um, and have, you know, a fellowship of coaches and programs because you're absolutely right. When Minnesota softball, um, rises and and it's, uh, it's certainly rising. It's on the rise, but we can bring it to a higher level. I think that's part of the motivation for us doing the rundown is to, to, give a forum and a, and a format that's going to help bring more attention to, to girls fast pitch softball. Um, but if we can continue to work that amongst clubs, have some cross collaboration, it's going to generate that much more excitement, that much more attention, that much more comp- competitive play in our state. And we won't have to travel as much, right? Mm-hmm. We'll be saving money. Parents will be saving money. Programs will be saving money because it's expensive to do what we do. And uh, we will get the attention. We will get college coaches up here. We will get teams from down south to come to Minneapolis to play in tournaments, to bring all of that competition here. 
Um, that's a huge goal of, of Julie. She's clearly passionate about that. And uh, I encourage all of the other directors that are out there, you know, let's try and open, open our minds, open our hearts and, and think about how we can raise fast pitch softball to another level here in our state. Well said. It was a great episode. We're excited to be back. Next week on the show, we'll have the great Amber Pfizer. She's going to join us. And Sean Hall and Jeremy Chell will join us as well on the show. So we're uh, very excited to have the, the All-American Amber Pfizer, the former Minnesota Golden Gopher pitcher. Now she is at Missouri as a grad assistant. She'll be taping with us, and we will have her on the show next week. Make sure to follow us on our Facebook page, The Rundown. All of our episodes can be seen or listened to on Apple Podcasts and Spotify as well. And make sure to get us on Instagram as well. The Rundown Fast Pitch Podcast is how you find us on Instagram. Our link is in the bio on there as well. So that will do it for us on this week's edition of The Rundown for our guests, Julia and Alicia. He's Mike and I'm Tori. We'll catch you next week. Big thanks to SNC Sports Services, Rudy's Red Eye Grill in Lakeville, and High Point Childcare in Lakeville. We'll see you next week. Have a good one. <laughs>